Hey, this is Pastor Stephen uh, coming to you again for our uh, Bible study podcast from Cookville Nazarene Church, studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And just a quick review, Ecclesiastes is a book written by King Solomon who grew up knowing all about God because he was taught the story of God by King David, who was his father, and who is a central figure to God's story and Jesus' lineage. However, Solomon's heart turned away from God towards lots of other things. Um, specific, historically, uh, it was specifically women. You know, we said Solomon had different girls and different area codes. Like he just, he was, uh, explored all, all of the cultures and, and uh, people that came to his great kingdom. And these women brought with them all kinds of different gods. And that kind of became the source of his undoing, the source of his dissatisfaction as he began to doubt the goodness of, his, of, of Yahweh God, the God who had revealed himself to him, who had provided him um, with the gifts and authority that had given him the kingdom. And uh, he drifted away from God and things taught to him by his father, David, and went down this other path. And, and what Ecclesiastes kind of reveals is he was just absolutely miserable doing what he felt was good instead of what he knew was right. And that idea right there could teach many of us at, a, at, a, at many different points in our lives. A lot of times we do what we feel is good instead of what we know is right, instead of the hard thing that we know is right, instead of the, instead of the less seemingly less desirable thing that we know is right. And he tried, he tried all kinds of things. He tried money, he tried hobbies, he tried achievement. Um, and he, he says it all felt like a chasing after the wind, which is, that's a fruitless endeavor. I know he says meaningless, meaningless. Uh, that's what he says about all these things that he tried. And Ecclesiastes is kind of this treatise of him saying, listen, I have had all the money, all the women, all the achievements, all the success. I've explored it all. I've explored all the religion and none of it made me happy. He couldn't get no satisfaction. Oh, no, no, no. Right. No matter what he tried, he said he felt like he had this huge hole in his heart that there that 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 it was clear he was made for something more, but he had not found that something more. Well, Ecclesiastes, this book that he wrote, it actually begins with the conclusion, a spoiler, so to speak. So spoiler alert, this is what Solomon learned after trying all kinds of other things apart from God. He learned, God made me for a reason. Okay, there was a hole in his heart. God made him for a reason, and that reason is God. Is, is God made me for a reason, and that reason is him. God made me for a reason, and that reason is him. Outside of him, Solomon says, I know I'll never find lasting satisfaction, and neither will you. You'll never find meaning outside of God. The term he uses is, I, I've seen many things under the sun. So that those are things within space and time. I've seen many things under the sun. I've tried many things under the sun, but I couldn't get no satisfaction. But he's, so the overarching lesson is we need to go beyond the sun into God's son, Jesus Christ, to find meaning. And so this is a great thing that Solomon realized the way to life before it was too late. Even so, he writes Ecclesiastes with quite a bit of regret. He's kind of reaching the end of his life. He's wasted a lot to quote him, chasing after the wind. So one theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is warning. It's warning so that others might learn from his life and not make the same mistakes. 
It's warning about what is wisdom and meaning in the world. And some of the warnings he's given so far in this series that we've been going through, he, he said things like, all that glitters isn't gold. Uh, the grass is always going to look greener on the other side, but it's not necessarily going to be greener. He, he said, pleasure is plastic. It's fake. It, it's it's fleeting. It, it slips through your fingers. It's it's this tease that never really delivers. He says, religion cannot save you or give you meaning. He says, there is not a single person in the world that is good on their own. There's no goodness in humanity apart from God. He says, death is the great equalizer. In other words, there's one thing that none of us can escape, death. And so no matter what you do in life, you're all we're all going to die. And he says, he says, when you do die, apart from God, under the sun, dead is dead. Dead is dead. So he says, you better, you better find something more. You better figure out what's missing that hole in your heart because dead is dead unless you figure that out. And so as we dig into chapter 10 this week, here's another warning he gives us. Being a lumberjack is dangerous. Being a lumberjack is dangerous. Did you know that? It's, it's, he literally says that right there in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 9, which is what we're going to read. We're going to read chapter 10 today. It says, whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. And you're like, oh, so we're going to learn just like practical tidbits about the best jobs to work today. <laughs> Not exactly, but um, just so you know, like I googled being a lumberjack, and sure enough, being a lumberjack is dangerous. The Bible is always on point. That's right. It's on point here. Being a lumberjack is dangerous. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, it's actually one of the most dangerous jobs that you can have. The second most dangerous in the country, in the United States of America, it's the second most dangerous job to be exact, which is, and you might be like me, like wondering, well, what's the most dangerous job? It's behind commercial fishing, okay? So lumberjacks die at a rate of 61 in every 100,000, like 61 of every 100,000 lumberjacks die. That may not sound like a lot, but there is not much that's anywhere close to commercial fishing and lumberjacks. Commercial fishermen die at a rate of 200 per 100,000. The Wall Street Journal says logging is one of the worst and most dangerous jobs in America. And it said, and the reasons that it gives is it's unstable and provides a poor income, and it is just pure danger. And it tells, it gives all kinds of anecdotes of weather mishaps and the, the steep hills that you work on and the heavy machinery that you work with. But even knowing all that, someone got to do it, right? Someone's got someone's got to be a lumberjack because the EPA says that the U.S. is the largest producer and consumer of forest products. The largest producer and consumer of forest products, okay? Uh, so the, I'm, this is not information that's coming from Axemen. You know, I didn't go and watch a History Channel special. This is like, these are the facts. Um, and, and, you know, with... As, with, lumb with uh, the career of lumberjack, there's kind of the stereotypical manliness associated with a job like that. You know, flannel shirts, big boots, chainsaws. And listen, like, I am not like a major, I, I like to camp and whatever, but I'm not like an avid outdoorsman or like a, a craftsman or any of those things. But man, my life changed when I messed with a chainsaw, right? I think of a lumberjack with their flannels and their boots, their chainsaws, really strong coffee, a blue ox named Babe. Okay, maybe that one's just a myth, but nonetheless. Okay, so 
Uh, well, I guess what I'm getting at is there is warning all through the book of Ecclesiastes. And today, the theme of chapter 10 is kind of a, a variety of wisdom warnings, okay? Like, he ends chapter 9, which we're kind of skipping because it's another treatise, another uh, uh, more, more um, information or more of his observances about death as the great equalizer, which we've already covered in great detail. But just in case you missed it, like Solomon wants you to know that death is something we all must face, but there is something more, and we need to discover that something more. But we're going to skip over chapter 9. But he actually ends chapter 9 with a story introducing chapter 10. And the moral of the story is found in 9 verse 18. It's the only verse I'm going to read from chapter 9. It says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So he's introducing wisdom as something better than brute strength, okay? Um, and he, chapter 10, he's going to share an elaboration on wisdom and its benefits in life. And if you're, if you're an ADD type, like this is a good chapter for you. It's very flow of consciousness. You don't have to track an overarching narrative. However, there is a method to the madness here, okay? Um, I would also just pause. Solomon's written a couple other books. One of them, and his most famous by far, being the book of Proverbs. And it's very much like this chapter and the following chapter in the way that it flows. Um, but even more flow of consciousness, one saying at a time. And so it is, if you're just looking for like a ground level place to get in on reading your Bible or get back to reading your Bible... Reading the book of Proverbs is an awesome Bible reading exercise because of that, but also because there are exactly 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so if you just read one chapter a day, you'll read through a whole book of the Bible in one month. Now, I've actually done, the, uh, I've read one chapter a day of Proverbs for years at a time, Just and you'd just be amazed at the things that will jump at, out at you. It's like you're reading and a verse that you've never noticed before, you've read through without it really registering a hundred times, and all of a sudden, like on that day, that's exactly what you needed. So Proverbs is a really cool place to uh, just get in on the ground level of Bible reading. And so I'd highly recommend, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not connecting with God through the scriptures, which he's given to us to help guide us in life and uh, connect us to the Holy Spirit um, each day, that's a great place to start, okay? Um, these these uh, One commentator said about Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, these are loosely connected maxims that are going somewhere. Loosely connected maxims that are going somewhere. So this is great for ADD types, but there is a point to all of this. And the big question this week is, am I living my life foolishly or in a way that is wise? Am I living my life foolishly or in a way that is wise? Okay, and there's no one more qualified than Solomon to speak about wisdom, right? We've already said um, he was the world's first and only trillionaire, so he's lived and experienced all of life. But there's no one more qualified than Solomon to speak about wisdom, too. And this is uh, in the early part of his life. You can read this in Second Kings. Uh, Solomon comes to the throne, and, um, and he comes with this heart, like, I want to rule like my father. I want to do well. Um, I don't want to mess up his legacy and the things that God has done through him. And so God comes to Solomon and he says, Solomon, I want to give you anything you ask for. And he doesn't put any stipulations on it. He's just like, Solomon, like, make a wish and I'll grant it, essentially. That's not how God usually works. This is a pretty unique situation. And this is what Solomon asked for. He says, God, more than anything else, I want to be wise. I want to be discerning. I want to be able to make the right decisions to rule your kingdom 
and fulfill your call on my life. And God says, whoa, like you could have asked for land, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for power, but you asked me for wisdom and I'm going to give you wisdom and then I'm going to give you all those other things too because I'm so impressed with your heart. So God made Solomon the wisest man to ever walk the earth, okay, uh, before Jesus. Uh, and so let's 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 just jump in here, take a look at this wisdom. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Man, this is right off the bat, we're getting into some relevant stuff. This is a problem I deal with all the time because I can't tell you how many great batches of perfume I've had ruined by flies always getting into it. Right? You with me? Like, don't you make perfume all the time and flies ruin it? <laughs> Obviously not, right? I'm being facetious. So what is he saying? Because this is not immediately relatable to us. He's talking about how small things make a big difference. Maybe a, a more relevant, uh, maybe more relevant would be the something that your mother maybe said to you is like, uh, if if there's only one little if there's only one little piece of poo in the brownies, are you going to eat the brownies? Are you going to take your chances? It's kind of this idea that one small thing is going to ruin the whole batch, and that's that's kind of what Solomon's getting at here. He's talking about all the small things. Say it ain't so. I will not. No, not it's not Blink One Eighty Two song, but he's he's talking about all the small things and the way that they affect uh, can ruin a much bigger thing. A whole batch of ointment, he says, is ruined by little flies. And we can't relate directly to this analogy, but I can say that in other areas of life, I have found that small things can make a mucho big difference, right? Uh, I was with some friends at Taco Bell, and guy, one of the guys opened up the burrito to put the hot sauce in there, and there's this big old spider just crawling across the beans and meat and cheese. And man, it was difficult for most of us to enjoy the rest of their of our meal thanks to that itsy bitsy spider. Uh, the point is here is that small things ruin it all. Okay, so Solomon points out that small foolish things we do can have big consequences. Small foolish things we do can have big consequences. You don't have to make big mistakes, and you don't have to be the type that makes mistakes all the time because he says just a little folly outweighs a lot of wisdom and honor. It makes me it makes me think of another story that I saw in the news. And like at the time, me and my friends made a big joke about it. And so that's why it kind of sticks out of my head. But I think it was like a decade ago, there was a new Florida state prosecutor. And he was kind of like this up and comer, like in his late 20s. And uh, he, gets, he gets selected as this Florida state prosecutor. He goes out to get a few drinks with his friends to celebrate they're leaving the bar and they see their friend, they see another friend's car pulling in late to the party. Like this guy was like, he missed, uh, missed the party. And they're like, wouldn't it be hilarious for you to get naked and throw yourself through the open window of the backseat of the car? And they're like, they all agree like, yeah, so hilarious. And so this newly, uh, newly sworn in Florida state prosecutor does this. He gets naked, parking lot runs and jumps through this rear window of the car. Only problem it wasn't their friend in the car. It apparently this one a woman meeting her boyfriend for drinks at this bar owned a car that looked very similar to their friend's car, or at least when you're drunk, it looked very similar. And uh, the boyfriend showed up about the same time that her shrieks of terror and disgust began to fill the parking lot. And of course, this guy was 
uh, he lost his job, he was suspended, and it was a big mess. And here's it. So here's a guy, all kinds of wisdom and honor, right? He's received all kinds of schooling and training, and he's been elevated to this high position at a young age, and it's ruined by one relatively little drunken prank, right? Ruined by one little thing. A little folly outweighs a bunch of wisdom and honor. And this is a super important principle for us to come back to often because we have a tendency to constantly excuse things that we deem as little, like little white lies or, oh, you're just blowing things out of proportion. And when we do that, like we do that in our life all the time without thinking much of it. And it kind of, it, it definitely affects our relationships, but it also bleeds into the way that we interact with God. It bleeds into the way we interact with God. Like there are so many bad mindsets that come out of like excusing things as little. Like we 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 use comparison as a way to to rate our performance. And so we put other people down and lift ourselves up by saying, Oh, well, I just do little things and they do big things. And or or we get into this idea like we're good because of our works and our accomplishments. Uh, we we think that the big things we do outweigh the little things that we that we do wrong. Uh, we get this distorted view of justice where we think that some sin is worse than others and so it allows us to judge other people. And so I, that's why I don't like the phrase hate the sinner hate the sin but love the sinner because human beings have never demonstrated I, I don't to my to my witness and observance that they are capable of separating the sin from the sinner and so they hate the sin and they also hate the sinner and that's because they excuse the small things in their own life. They don't they they don't, uh, they have a distorted view of justice, okay? And what we have to remember is to God, sin is sin. Little or big, it ruins the whole batch, okay? So anything less than perfect is short of his perfect glory, his perfect holiness. And, and that's why scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because whatever sin is in your life, I mean, if we, if we wanted to go by comparison, like my wife was a much better person than I than I was, and she's much better than I am. She just uh, she avoided a lot more pitfalls than I did, and so she carries less baggage, and she's just a better person by comparison. But before God, she and I are on equal footing because sin is sin, and therefore we need we need we need something else besides our goodness before God. Therefore, we we can we need to love others. Um, regardless of whether or not they fall short of what we of our standard, we need we need to judge ourselves by God's standard and love others the way that God loves us. Okay, so that, that's how that's why this is so important. This crucial thing that we need to recognize: sin is sin. Small things ruin the whole bit, and so uh, we need to take small things seriously, and we need to recognize that sin is sin. Uh, verse two says, "The heart of the wise inclines to the right." but the heart of the fool to the left. And this is not a political verse, right? This is not about which, which political party is better. Um, actually, like in the ancient Middle East, the right hand was a symbol of honor, dignity, blessing, and strength, whereas the left hand was a symbol of dishonor, curses, and weakness, okay? So sorry to all the Southpaws out, out there, but in ancient culture, you were kind of less, less than, and kind of you, you kind of wanted to adapt to using your right hand. And Here's the thing is like, even today, this is more than just symbolic. And it, it's, I heard a missionary uh, talking about their work in Nepal. 
And he talked about how you had to keep your left hand at your side during dinner. And why was that? It's because the bathroom doesn't have any toilet paper there. And so all you had was your left hand and a couple buckets of water. Okay. And so if your left hand comes up from your side at the dinner table, everyone's appetite is ruined because like they know what you use that hand for. And so that's kind of where that it's not just symbolic. It kind of comes from practicality. But the bottom line here is, if you go back to our verse, the heart of the wise inclines to the right. In other words, a wise man's heart is inclined to honor, to dignity, to blessing, to strength, to cleanness. Okay? So whether or not you are living wise, a wise or foolish life is directly related to the inclination of your heart. If a fool's heart is inclined to the left, it's in the foul things. It's in... It's in uh, the places that should not be named, you know, like you, um, that's that's so the the wise person's heart is inclined to honor and dignity, blessing, strength, cleanness. You you shook hands and you gave blessing and you gave greeting and uh, and you kept clean your right hand. And that's the the image that Solomon wants to convey here about our hearts that uh, that wisdom comes from the heart. And it comes from a heart that is clean. It comes from a heart that is full of honor, honor, dignity, blessing, and strength. Now tie that into verse 1. Just a little bit of filth ruins the whole heart. Just a little bit of filth ruins the whole heart. So you see, like these are one-hit verses that kind of, they're, they're loosely connected maxims uh, that, have a connected, that have a connected meaning. Uh, verse 3. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. Okay, so what he's, what he's saying here is even a fool walks on the right path from time to time. Even, even a fool will be on the right road. Okay, he's saying even as he walks along the road, he's saying sometimes the fool is on the right path. Like he's on a path to, to, to somewhere good. Uh, so even a fool can get on the right path. And it's kind of like I have a wall clock right above my desk, and a while back the battery died. It took me months to change them because, like, every time I looked up to check the time, I'd be like, "Oh man, I really got to get those batteries changed." And then I'd put it off. Like anybody else out there do that, like I do. And so my clock, my clock was broken, but whenever I looked at it, it was it it was not right. But twice a day, I could look at it, and it would be right. Correct? Like two times a day. The time shown on that clock is going to be correct, which, but that doesn't mean it was functioning properly. It's not telling time, but two times a day, it will tell you the time. It doesn't mean there's any wisdom in it. It's just right place, right time. And so Solomon is saying here that a fool may be on the right path, but he still lacks any sense and he will, his, his ways will show everyone how stupid he is. So he said, so essentially Solomon is now tying this back to verse one. He's saying wisdom is a heart issue, not a deed issue. Okay. So he's, he, he said just a little bit ruins, just a little bit of folly ruins all wisdom and honor that, and that even a fool can get it right for a time. But if his heart is not right, if it's not inclined to the right, then the deeds will show what's in the heart. So like two times a week, you might be living wise. Like right now, you're listening to this podcast, and maybe you'll be at church on Sunday, or maybe you'll crack, crack open your Bible on your own later this week. And so a couple times this week, you'll, you'll, you'll tell the right time. A couple times this week, you'll be on the right path. But for the rest of the week, 
Maybe your life isn't telling Jesus. It's not showing Jesus. It's off the mark because maybe you have a heart issue. Like Judas Iscariot was an apostle. He looked like a Christian, but he betrayed Jesus. He had sin in his heart. The, the Pharisees claimed to know the scriptures frontward and back, but Jesus said that your heart and your actions show that you, that you don't understand what it means. You know, but you don't understand uh, because they had sin in their hearts. Your schedule can look Christian, but your and your convictions can claim to be Christian. You can even make most of your actions look like a kind of Christian, but you cannot fool God. And and here's here's what the scriptures actually tell us. They say ultimately our hearts will be laid bare before God. Hebrews four verse thirteen says this: Nothing. Make sure you you catch that word. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. The verse preceding it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So you can you can pretend to be Christian all day long, but the word of the, the scriptures and the word of God by his spirit lays you bare. And if you somehow manage to hide it, to to scrape, to to fake it until you make it before the judgment place of God, there will be nothing that you'll slip past him. Okay, wisdom is a heart issue. It's not a deed issue. So maybe you've you've put your stock in like being able to look Christian and do Christian things, uh, to go to church a little bit, to read your Bible a little bit, to know know enough verses to keep the pastor off your scent. Um, but you aren't hiding anything from God, and eventually, even you maybe you may look like you're on the right road, but eventually your your stupidity, your lack of sense to use. Solomon's words will show itself. Verse 4, it says, If a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. Continuing verse 5, There is an evil I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Okay, so... What Solomon is getting at here, he, okay, he gives this little parable in verses 5 through 7 about something just wrong with the world that he sees, okay? He, he says, some, a lot of times I see people who aren't really qualified getting elevated to the highest positions of leadership and honor. A lot of times he says, I've seen slaves on horseback. That is, uh, he's, he's indicating, you know, horseback would be a sign of dignity, a sign of wealth, a sign of power. And, and he says, I've seen, I've seen people who should be slaves, who are foolish, who don't have any talent or ability getting elevated to places of power, while princes, people who should, who have lot, who have, uh, who have much in the way of honor and dignity and strength and blessing, who are living like slaves, okay? So he says, he says, like in this world, sometimes things aren't fair, and the, it does seem like the good die young, and the, and the bad boys always get the girl. However, go back to verse 4, he says, even if a ruler's anger rises against you, in other words, if his curses if come against you, if 
if you're not being shown favor and fairness by life, he says, don't leave your post. It says calmness, steadfastness would be another way to read that, can lay great errors to rest. So this is what Solomon's teaching us here. He says, a wise person, a person whose heart is inclined to the right, a person whose heart is in the right place, sticks with it even when things aren't fair. A wise person sticks with it even when things aren't fair. And, and I see this in so many ways. I see, I see people who give up for all kinds of reasons, give up because they don't like their boss, give up because they're not making as much as they think they should, and, they, and there's just this inconsistency in their life and what they can't see. They give up because, because someone has, uh, because, because their marriage has fallen apart or someone's broken up with them or, or whatever. They, they, they run from the place, that, the place that God has led them to simply because things aren't fair or because they're hard for a while, but a wise person has a steadfastness, has a calmness, has a peace, has a faith in their heart that's, that gives them the strength to stick with things even when they aren't fair. That's wisdom. A, a heart that is right before God, a heart full of honor and dignity and blessing and strength, uh, a heart that is clean, sticks with it even when things aren't fair. Because, because why? Because you know where your help comes from. You look to the hills and you know where your help comes from. You know, you know who declares your identity. You know that he will make a way through the wilderness, through the valley, wherever you find yourself. A wise person sticks with it, even when things aren't fair. Continuing in verse 8, he says, Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. So there's that, that idea of being a lumberjack is dangerous. What Solomon is saying here is saying life's unpredictable. But he's... And, you can't, in other words, you can't control everything. And he's saying risk is unavoidable. Risk is unavoidable. So you can't go through life trying to never get hurt. And, and you can't expect that you can control everything in life. And he's, he says, you know, lumberjack's going to get jacked. There are some things that are riskier than others. Wisdom minimizes risk, but it doesn't run from it, okay? He, he says things that people would have had to do every day, like, digging a pit, okay, like digging a well, uh, breaking through a wall, you might be bitten by a stake. These are, these are things that people have to do. You need quarried stone and you need split logs to survive in the ancient Near East uh, to build and to, to, to grow uh, on your property or whatever. So he says, these are all things you got to do. And there is risk that's associated with them. There is unpredictability that is associated with them. And he says, hey, it's fine to minimize your risk. It's fine to control the things you can control, but don't get stuck. Don't get stuck with a foolish heart, uh, an anxious heart, trying to control things that you cannot control, trying to avoid every risk, not being, not being able to step out in faith and walk with God because it might not go the way that you want it to or because you're afraid. That not sticking with things because because they're not going your way. He's he's saying, listen, in the everyday of life, there's unpredictability, there's unfairness, there's things you can't control, there's risk, but that doesn't change that doesn't change whose you are, and that doesn't change that you you've been given a life to live and it's a blessing, a, a heart of honor, a heart of dignity, a heart of strength, continues to press forward while being using wisdom to minimize risk and control what you can control. Verse 10, 
It says if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. Okay, so he's, he's saying wisdom brings success. Wisdom brings success. Okay, you can still cut trees down with a dull axe, but you will have more success with a sharper axe, right? And so, so he's saying wisdom will... Wisdom understands what it takes to have success and does what it takes to maximize success, okay? So wisdom knows when to stop relying on its own strength and go to the sharpener, right? Like, you could keep chopping when you know that your axe is dull. You can rely on your own strength, and you're going to cut some trees down, but you're also going to wear yourself out, and you're not going to be nearly as productive. So he's, he's saying wisdom knows when to stop relying on its own strength and go to the sharpener. Wisdom knows when it would be a better investment of your time to recharge, a better investment of your time to sharpen rather than to keep pushing into. You need to take time to sharpen the blade. So you need to get education. You need to get apprenticeship. You need to work your way up. Do you see how this is all tying together? He talks about sticking with things even when they aren't fair. He talks about not being able to control everything and not being able to avoid risk completely. And so now he's saying, hey, sometimes... Sometimes a wise person sticks with it when things are hard and goes and gets education, goes and talks to a marriage counselor, goes and takes the time to stick with something long enough to work your way up. Like so many problems in life I see, especially in young people, come from the fact that they just don't stay in a place long enough. I know I, I, I have had a tendency to let my eyes be drawn to opportunities but I've been thankful for a few people in my life who have encouraged me to stay the course. And I see how God has used the encouragement of others to remain faithful and to stick with it in my marriage, in my, in my calling, um, in my family. How God has used that and to sharpen me. And, and when I get to the other side, I look back and I'm thankful for the difficulty. I'm thankful for the journey. Okay, so, so get premarital counseling, right? Like, some of you, maybe you're considering marriage, and we rush into life with dull axes. So I, things like taking the time before you rush into the payoff to prepare yourself is crucial. Um, go back to the beginning of the chapter. What is wisdom at the beginning of the chapter? It's a heart inclined to honor and blessing and cleanness. So spiritually speaking... The wise person knows when to stop relying on their own strength and to go to the sharpener, Jesus Christ. That means that we recognize what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all other things will be added to you. So above all other things, before you make any decisions about what to do in the wake of a broken relationship, before you make any decisions about whether or not to stick with a job or to look for greener pastures, before you make any decisions... Seek first the kingdom. Don't rely on your own strength. You're not, you're not going to chop down those very many trees with a dull axe on your own strength. Go to the sharpener, Jesus Christ. Go to him and seek his will um, and the way that he is calling you to live in his kingdom. Wisdom brings success because it knows when to stop relying on its own strength and go to the sharpener. Verse 11, if a snake bites before it is charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Likewise, the babbler. Okay, so he says, he's, he, what he's saying is, if you have head knowledge, but don't apply it, you're just a snake charmer, 
getting bit by a snake that you know how to charm, right? The snake charmer, if he gets bit by a snake before it is charmed, then he had the knowledge. He just didn't, he let the snake out of the basket without charming it. He didn't use the wisdom that he, he didn't use wisdom. He didn't apply what he knew. And he says, likewise, the babbler goes on and on with no point. Okay, so this Solomon is referring to his own life in this case, a lot of scholars say. He say they say Solomon says, like, I had all the knowledge. Like, God gave me wisdom. He made me wise above all other people. He had the wisdom to charm the snake, but he still got bit by it. He, he, his love of many foreign women led him astray into foreign gods and meaningless existence, failing to make use of the wisdom that God gave him. And so uh, Solomon is saying, listen, you, you can know a lot of stuff and still miss out on full life on earth and ultimately eternal life in heaven by 18 inches, the distance from your head to your heart. He says, he says what you know has to get down into your heart. What you know has to be applied in your heart. When you know the truth, when you know what's right, you have to, you have to resolve in your heart to do it. And listen, I can't be too hard on Solomon because his testimony is my testimony too. I grew up with parents who told me all about and introduced me to God. And from an early age, people would say, hey, man, Stephen, you have gifts and graces to be a pastor. I bet you're going to be just like your dad. Uh, you know, like they, they, they'd they say things like if you're, I had a Sunday school teacher, he'd say, if your dad's name was Chip, you'd be microchip, you know, like you're just like your dad. But it was not long before I was bitten by the snake that I knew how to charm. First, it was like so cool to cuss and like, whether whether or not whether or not words on their own can be evil, that's a whole nother discussion that I'd love to have with you if you want to talk about that. But but this this it was a gateway for me into evil. Like I was dabbling and testing the other side. I was not applying wisdom uh, about righteousness. And so at first it was so cool to cuss, and I messed around with that. And then I was curious about girls, and I got addicted to pornography. And then. Uh, you know, I wanted to be popular and I wanted, I wanted to, uh, I, wa I wanted to, you know, have real life relationships with girls and that led to partying and promiscuity and just like a kind of like, bef before it was a saying, a kind of YOLO kind of approach to life. Like, oh, you only live once. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And, and soon, like I'm le leading this completely separate life twice a week. I totally loved God. And, and in my life, I had all the head knowledge, but I was getting bit by the serpent. I knew how to charm, and my life was a mess. There was no profit in my life. My life, uh, everything that I thought would make me whole, everything that I thought would give me meaning, uh, e the pleasure was plastic, and it was empty, and, and it did not fulfill me. And so I, knowing about God, and even mentally ascending to some ideas about God, because there's a lot of people, I know, I know a lot of people, who believe things about God, who believe Christian things. But it's that that is of no profit to anyone. You need a real and personal relationship with him. And it took me a decade or more to figure that out, even though I had the knowledge. But the difference was 18 inches, the distance from my head to my heart. I had all the knowledge, but I needed to apply that which which God had given to me. Maybe you, maybe you say, well, I don't have the knowledge, but you do now. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you're going to church somewhere. Maybe you're cracking open your Bible. Maybe you're emailing a pastor or a, a Jesus follower friend of yours, 
asking questions. You don't need to live in the past about what you did or didn't have. But just from this point forward, with whatever, with whatever you're able to seek and whatever you've been given, whatever knowledge of God, begin to apply it. If you, if you, know, if you know very little about God and apply it, you will be leaps and bounds ahead of the person who knows a bunch about God and doesn't apply it. In fact, that's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 7. He says, the wise man is, is the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The wise man is the one who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice. The fool is the one who hears them and does not put them into practice. Verse 12, Solomon says, Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. And this is it, kind of echoing a lot of things that Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, which really kind of boil down to this. The tongue can do a lot of good or a lot of bad. In this case, he says, A person living wisely speaks graciously. The fool does not, and the harm of the fool's words is equally destructive as the fool's actions. So, question for you who believe you are wise, who believe you are connected to God, who believe that you know God, are your words gracious? Are your words gracious? What Solomon says here is your actions can give the appearance of a good heart, but if your words don't match, Your words will consume all of your actions. The fool is consumed by his own lips. And this is so crucial for this time that we're living in, Christians. This is so crucial, Jesus followers, saints. The more acidic, the more derogatory, the more angry, the more bitter your talk, and I might add the more, the more acidic, derogatory, angry, bitter your social media posts. And it doesn't matter whether you do it publicly or privately the more foolish and self-destructive you are. You, you, are, you are a fool to when your words are not gracious. The book of James says the tongue can set a whole forest ablaze. It says the tongue steers our lives like the rudder of a ship steers our ship. It's this little, little thing, but it steers the great big thing. Your tongue steers you either toward the rocks or out of the storm to safety. And Jesus said, furthermore, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your actions sometimes can look good, but your mouth shows what's in your heart. So not only can your mouth do you great harm, but we know that wisdom is rooted in the heart. And if you really want to know what's in your heart, listen to your mouth. If you want to know if the grace of Jesus is living in you, listen to your mouth. Is the, is the grace of Jesus coming out of your mouth? that's when you know the grace of Jesus is living in your heart. Okay, so look at your text messages. Look at your Facebook posts. Look at the things that you say to yourself while you watch the news. Listen to what's coming out of your mouth, and that will tell you what's in your heart. That doesn't have to define who you are. Sometimes things come out of our mouths, and, and we don't want them to, but what you need to do is you need to check those intentionally. You need to say no. That is not the truth, and I do not believe that. Lord, forgive me for allowing that thought to come out of my mouth and help to heal my heart so that those things will not find their way to the surface of my tongue. You see? So are your words gracious? Are your posts gracious? Are your messages gracious? Is your self-talk gracious? Verse 13, 
At the beginning, his words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. So Solomon, continuing to talk about the tongue, he says, hey, at first, our words don't seem to be a big deal, but foolish words eventually lead to wicked madness. So you, you, could, you might respond to everything I just said about our words being gracious, and you might say, oh, it's, just, it's not that big a deal. It was just a joke. I don't really think that. I just, you know, I just laughed at it. I just told my wife. I didn't tell anybody else. But what that verse, it's like that, it's like Solomon predicted your argument. He says, yeah, at first they don't seem a big deal, but eventually they lead to wicked madness. They consume, they consume your heart and become a part of your personality before you even realize it. How many marriages have been destroyed by what seemed innocent at first? How many jobs have been lost or reputations been ruined by a little slip of the tongue? Words can seem like not a big deal. But if we don't if we don't check even the little things and see this ties all the way back to the beginning, Solomon says these little things ruin a little bit of folly outweighs a bunch of wisdom and honor. Okay, so don't allow yourself to excuse the little things here. Hear the words and receive them. Put apply the wisdom from your head to your heart. Verse fourteen. It says the fool multiplies words. No one knows what is coming. Coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? A fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. So the gist of this is the less a person knows, the more they talk on and on about it. So be careful who you take advice from. Look at it. What, what it continues to say is make sure you want to end up where they're at. The Solomon's kind of telling a popular ancient joke. We, we wouldn't understand this, but this was like a popular colloquial joke at the time. He says, here's someone who got, who's got all these smooth talking, endless words like, Follow me, it'll be the best. You've never experienced anything like it. But then has no idea where he's going. He can't even find his way back to town. Constantly and wearily, he's covering his tracks with more words. That's what these verses mean, okay? So be careful who you listen to. Just because they talk a good game, look at where they're going. Do you want to end up where they're at? Like, are, do, I'm always amazed. Sometimes people will come to me for... Uh, marriage advice or family advice and they'll say well my friend says this and I'm like isn't that friend like on their fourth marriage so like which advice are you going to take um, <laughs> verse 16 he continues he says woe to you O land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning blessed are you O land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness if a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. So these are verses all about leadership. He's saying, hey, work before, work before you party. Work before you play. A lack of discipline leads to the lack of a safe and sound house. And so if you have, if you have a position of leadership, if you're a father, if you're, if you're a husband, if, if you're a brother, if, you're, if, you, if you lead others in the workplace, if, you, if your personality uh, compels people to follow your leadership at school. These are things that you need to know. God has given you. God has given you a gift of of leadership. God has given you a gift of influence, and a good leader, a wise leader, works before they play. Uh, a wise leader uh, exercises discipline to stay on top of the tasks they've been given. And maybe that's maybe you don't feel like you naturally do that well. You can ask God to sharpen your axe. You can ask God so that you're not swinging with a dull axe, so that you're not relying on your own strength. Okay, verse 19. A feast is made for laughter, 
and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Okay, that's the, what the fool replies back. He says, he says, yeah, but a feast is when there's when there's feasting, like you got a feast, and when when there's wine, you got to drink, and and money will just I can just throw money at it. It won't matter uh, if I don't take care of my responsibility. Somebody will. And Solomon replies. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird of the air may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. He says, listen, even the little things will be found out. So he's coming full circle here. He's saying we have this tendency to excuse the little things. He's talked about all these little things that we excuse. And, and he, says, I, he, he says, even after all that I've said, the tendency of the fool is still to say, yeah, but it's not that big a deal. And yeah, but, and yeah, but, and he's, he just concludes by saying the little things will be found out. Okay. Like the, pra the, there's practical wisdom in verse 20 where he's saying, listen, you might think that what you, what you've said is a secret. You might think that you've hidden, hidden your opinion or your surmising uh, behind closed doors, but it will find its way to the surface. Uh, Jesus says, what is, what is whispered in the dark will be shouted from the rooftops. And so Solomon's coming full circle. He's just saying, no matter what issue we're talking about when it comes to holiness and to wisdom, every word and deed is going to be laid bare. And so wisdom is found in the one who inclines their heart towards God, who seeks his strength, who goes to his sharpening wisdom to sharpen them to have success. There's only one way. There's only one way for your heart to incline to the right, and that is to put your life in the Son of God Jesus Christ. And so as we close our study of chapter 10, I just want to encourage you to take the little things in your life seriously. Sin is sin. Laziness is laziness. Uh, a joke, a, a, a dirty joke is a dirty joke. The words, the words that you say matter, okay? The little things matter. And the wise person recognizes this. Furthermore, the wise person understands that a heart can only be made right by going to something, by going to a sharpener. You can only continue to have success by staying sharp. And there's only one who can sharpen your heart. There's only one who can who can give you the grace you need for forgiveness and the strength you need for holiness. And that is Jesus Christ. So if you haven't already, or if you need to renew, uh, just renew in, in your heart a commitment to uh, his wisdom, as I pray, I just want to encourage you to take the time to do that now or to contact the office to set up an appointment to talk about that. Um, Heavenly Father, just give you thanks for Solomon's transparency and vulnerability to share um, things from his own life, from his own folly, so that we might learn from it. I want to thank you um, for the people that you've put in my life who have at times encouraged me to stay the course, who have encouraged me to be diligent and disciplined in the little things, even when it doesn't seem to be paying off, um, who have encouraged me to, to seek wisdom and honor and strength and dignity instead of resorting uh, to foolishness, no matter how seemingly little. And Lord, I want to pray for those that are listen, who might listen to this and just ask in Jesus' name that they would take, take every part of their life seriously, um, that they would offer all of it to you for your glory that uh, that they would seek you for sharpening um, and that that they they would stick with and be faithful to and steadfast in that which you've called them to in Jesus name amen